Doug Gus, welcome back to ATV Talk. How are you, sir? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. Hey, thank you for for giving us some time. Uh, you're still dealing with a little bit of winter up there, right? Oh, yeah. Well, actually, it's raining, though, today. We're getting thunderstorms and chance of hail, which is unusual for January. We got some snow on the ground, but this rain is uh, taking care of it. But a couple of days, they're forecasting a winter storm and supposed to get eight more inches of snow. So, Did that real cold front that came through affect you guys? Yeah, we, we had a cold front here where we were 13 below and the wind chill was 38 below. That was that was pretty brutal for a couple of days. Stuff freezes up fast. Not to get off topic, how do you keep the house warm? Well, we're in an old farmhouse. We moved here out in Hollandale, Wisconsin, which is way out in the middle of nowhere, closer to Iowa, actually, now. And um, I don't know, they, they got an old, uh, it's a fuel burner or what they call it, fuel oil or home oil, it burns. And it just, uh, it runs constantly when it's that cold. And you can feel the cold coming through the windows and everything. They frost up. And matter of fact, my wife had her pillow against the window up in the bedroom. And when I came up there that night, I tried to pull it off. It was stuck. The window <laughs> froze to it. Yeah, that's oh, cold. Wow. I don't like it when it gets that cold. Nobody does. You know, I, I don't mind 20s and 30s, but when it gets that cold, it's it's horrible. So you can't do anything? No, I mean, people still do. I actually was getting, uh, uh, I, I built a new hangar in this new property and they were, um, they were running the electric service and the gas and they were struggling trying to get through the frost, the ground freezes up hard. And I was surprised them guys were still working in them conditions and the tractor started up and everything, you know. Wow. They took that day, that day they took off when it got 13 below, but they worked the next day when it was, I mean, I don't think it was zero. You know, it maybe got to zero out for, and they were working. That's cold. Yeah, that, you know what? I'm sorry, dude. I'm not coming out of the house. Ain't, ain't happening. No, no I, I didn't stay out very long myself either. Yeah, yeah, and you grew up in it, right? Yep, yep. But like I said, I mean, 20 degrees, 25, sun out, I can handle no wind. But it starts getting windy and colder than that. Nope, I'm staying in. I like snowmobiling, but not that much. I'm The older I get, the colder it gets. So I stay in the house. <laughs> wow. That's pretty. That's yeah. You, 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 you keep that. I'm going to, I'm going to complain about my 38 degrees here and occasionally, you know, maybe in the forties, I'm going to whine a little and, and tell it and stay in or not go, not go work in the shop because it's too cold. Yeah, well, that's why I put I put floor heat in the shop and everything, so hopefully it uh, pays off. But we're forty two degrees here today, so we're we're a heat wave. Yeah, dude, you're in shorts and a t shirt out there sweating. Yeah, right? sweatshirt weather for us today. So, you know, when it gets that cold, uh, when we were when we were below zero like that, and then it warms up to thirty, it 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 is sweatshirt weather because you get kind of acclimated to that cold, and then it warms up, and you're like, wow. But then in the fall time. You know, when you're used to 70 or 80 and it gets down to 30, you got a winter jacket on because you're not used to it. You Well, you guys get all four seasons, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And we don't have to deal with the earthquakes like you guys out there. Uh, it's not a big deal, dude. I don't think we've had a serious one in since 99. Yeah. And now you're getting the flood and rains, though. So it's on our news out here is about you guys out there. <laughs> well, uh, it's it's upper north from us. I mean, we're we're we get it a little bad, or we're getting it not yeah. too. It, I mean, it's not great, but it, we're not flooding down here like they are up, up up in the northern portion of California. So, yeah, you know they're mostly uh, liberals anyway, so they can they can deal with it. You know, yeah. Um, well, the, the mountains are getting good snow, which is good for you guys for water supply, I guess. Yeah, we need it. You know, yeah. we need to fill the reserves back up. And, and but the policy most likely is that they'll dump twenty five percent of what they of what they catch. Yeah, wow. Which doesn't make any sense, but yeah, it doesn't. You know, it doesn't. Yeah, we don't have to worry about water out here. <laughs> that's good. That's good. Yeah. So let's get back on topic, brother. Um, in 99, you were riding a 250R, a Lager 250R, correct? Yes, yes. Yep, Wayne Henson was helping me out a lot then, too. And uh, I believe that was the Nacarado days, too. Yep. 
Darren Nacarado, you know, before he passed. Yeah, it was uh, good times. Good times. How did you and Darren get connected? Um, He contacted me. Trying to think of what year it was. I, I I can't remember the year because I got hurt bad in 96, I believe it was, or 97, I got hurt bad. And then uh, I was going to retire. Matter of fact, I left a, a note when I was in the hospital to my mom. I promise I'm done racing, but I said that won't hold up in the court of law because I was under too many drugs in the hospital, but I had broken my back and uh, my leg. And some ribs. I was at Muddy Creek. I remember that. It was Mother's Day. But anyways, yeah, I uh, he contacted me after that and asked if I wanted to keep riding. And I told him, no, I'm done. Well, then the summer went by. And uh, that happened in May when I got hurt. The summer went by in October. I decided to jump on the quad again because I missed it already. And it was kind of like I never, never got off it. I felt like I was right there again. And so... When Darren called me back again, asked me if I changed my mind. I said, yes, I, I think I'm going to do it again. And uh, then he then he helped me out and we uh, got back going and I won a championship then. So th coming back from the injury you, the next year. So if you got hurt in 97, you rode with him in 98 and then 99, you won the title. Yes. And then, and yeah, we, uh, Tom Carlson was in the picture, you know, building the motors and, um, yeah, we won that. We won the championship. I finally learned how to flat track because that's what was killing me all the years before. I was winning the motocross uh, division of it because they had it separated back then. TT and I think it was five TTs, five motocrosses, and I could win the motocross series, but I was not doing very well in the TT. And I finally figured out how to TT a little bit and gave Shane Hit a run first money. Yeah. And yeah, I'm sorry. It, it, when you, because uh, Shane won it in 97, didn't he? I believe so, yeah. But I he was, you know, one of the best TTers along with Tim Farr. And, you know, I just, I, I was having a hard time with them guys. I could beat him in the motocross usually, but uh, the flat track was tough for me. You also mentioned in our last conversation, you raced against uh, John Hemme and Marty Hart. And that takes you back some years. Cause yes, Marty, I did. Marty stopped racing the nationals in, uh, 96. Yeah. I, I raced, um, boy, I, I even raced, uh, it had to be, it was out. Oh, I raced the golden state nationals out in California. No, and that Marty stopped be... racing the nationals in 80, 88, I believe. Yeah, I raced three wheelers. So I, I I remember Jimmy, Jimmy White, Marty Hart, Mike Cole, because I went to some nationals on a three wheeler, but I wasn't running pro. Um, but yeah, and, and then I raced um, you know, I, I went to four wheelers and raced uh some Mickey Thompsons and some Golden State Nationals, and um, you know, I raced some guys there that were competing then. All right, that was way back when. Yeah, that's back into the eighties. Um, yeah. So, so you're aging yourself by racing all the way to two thousand and nine. That that's a long career. Yeah, <laughs> it was. I was in my forties and I was uh, racing some national still in two thousand nine. So, yeah, a lot of years, over twenty years. I started racing. Uh, Texas Arena crosses too back in 80. That's where I started, um, where I started running professional. I ran Mike Kidd used to hold the Texas Arena Cross series and um Dale. Yes on the bike and the quad and i uh qualified for a few of them on the bike so i was uh doing both when you raced the arena cross did you have a setup like a motocross setup for that yes yep and there was a big jump they always had 
and uh, nobody was doing it. And I started jumping it on the quad. I mean, on the bike, everybody was doing, but nobody was jumping it on the quad. And then when I came, I was still running stock rear tires. I had a 250R and uh, I was jumping the big, uh, big double they had there. At what transition point did you go from running the stock style machine with the stock tires and transition into a mo more motocross setup? Well, I believe Bill's pipe picked me up. I don't know if you remember Bill's pipe. Yep. Yes, he picked me up after I was winning some of the uh, arena cross there. And I actually won the championship. And I believe that was 89. I won the championship there. Um, but backtrack, and I was in California running the Golden State Nationals in 87 on a Suzuki. I had a Suzuki 250, LT250. Um, and I got it stolen. And I don't know if we talked about this yeah. the last time. Yeah. Right. And I got it stolen. And it went across the border to Mexico, I'm sure. I had the whole truck, the whole works, everything was stolen and gone. So I went back home and worked for the summer. And then I got a 250R. And that's how I got on the Honda and started racing the Honda. When, and, and then you went back, did you come back to California or come West again after that? Nope. Never came back again. Um, I'd never flown before, so I had to get a commercial flight back home. And I uh, you know, nope, never went back until, uh, boy, I didn't go back until there was a, the national there. There was a national. And I'm trying to think of where it was. It was more in, I think, Northern California. They had a national. Um, I raced Gary Denton there. Um, I'm trying to think of what year that was. It had to be 88 or 89. And uh, they had a national out there that, and then that was the next time I went. And I remember that national because I pulled the whole shot and they didn't even have a starting gate. They had a bungee cord there and I pulled the whole shot and I still had stock tires on. And Alan Knowles told me they red flagged a race uh, and made a start again because they said I jumped the start. And Alan Knowles from CT Race said, yeah, you had to jump the start because Gary Denton didn't get it. And boy, did that make me mad. But I, I didn't jump to start, but I got accused of it just because I beat Gary in the start. Did you get the second start? Nope, I didn't. <laughs> I, I think, if I remember, I got third or fourth at that national. Running stock tires, I believe I had stock tires. But it was it was after that, um, that you know, I, I think it was all the way until uh, – no, I, yeah, I, I was running stock tires for a long time. Even I, I think I can remember in 94, 95, still having stock tires. And then then I started um, getting, you know, getting some bigger sponsors and tire sponsors. And maybe I went over to ITP then after that. And, and that's, that's a lot of years. That's a lot of years ago. It's hard to remember. <laughs> and a lot of concussions. Yeah. <laughs> We're not supposed to talk about those. Right, right. So when did Wayne Hinson come into the picture? Um, He came in, I believe, right around the Darren Nacarado time, you know, when, when Max Racing started helping me out, um, Hinson did. And then Hinson, um, me and Wayne became good friends, and he really um, – he really started helping me out. I think when Gary Dent retired, because he was helping Gary a lot, but when Gary retired, um, he kind of looked after me and really helped me out and, and pointed me in the right directions. Did he help you with the TT setups? Yes. And that's what helped me start winning TTs was Wayne Henson. He really, he was a smart fella and he really uh, helped me out and um, was a good mentor. I mean, he, he gave me a lot of confidence, which I needed for the TTs. Yeah, some of his chassis setups were, were pretty good. I mean, when you talk to Shane about TT, it's, you know, seven pair of front shocks and different length swing arms and yeah, different tires. And, and you're just like kind of blown away by. Right. Shorter swing arms, this, that, right ride height and. Oh yeah, there was there was so much involved in that. Yeah, that some of the things that they did to to get traction 
And he was telling me about one of the races in Indiana, Pennsylvania, where they jacked the front of the machine way up in the air so that it would force the rear tires to grab traction because nobody could get traction. Yep. Yep. There was so many tricks and, you know, obviously we learned to ride the brakes too, to, to try to get traction, but you, you had that fine line. And when you get into the big sweeper, if you, you know, your foot's on the brake a little bit, if you ride it too long, you're going to boil your brake, <laughs> lose your brake. So you, but by riding it would plant the machine down, you know, into that corner and help you from sliding. And, right. And get you traction. to drive around the turn better. Yep. 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 yeah tt was an art do you miss do you ever miss going to the tt races uh yeah after i started doing good i i did at first i never missed it but yeah after i started doing good i'm like you know that wasn't too bad it was kind of fun you know so and then it went to it went to straight motocross in uh was it 2003 or four boy i don't remember for sure, but it was one of them two years. It might have been four when it was because that's when I got sponsored by Suzuki. The factory ride came in, so it might have been four, but I'm not for sure. Yeah, because they the Yamaha hit in 03. Yep. And you were riding um you were riding the Z four hundred in, in 03 as well. Yes. Yeah. Did 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 your Z four hundred compete against that? Why why Z four fifty very well? Uh yeah, we we won the championship in 04 with a Z four hundred. So it did. I mean, obviously it was board and stroke, so it was close to a four fifty, you know, but um the 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 Z four hundred was a little taller chassis, so it didn't corner as good, but um it had its advantages, you know. So and and it we made it. I mean, we we did a lot of testing on that, and Wayne Henson was involved, and I spent a lot of time in California testing and getting that thing to work really good. And uh, Tom, you said Tom did the motors for that one. Yes, yep. And then uh, we changed over to Yoshimir, I believe, in '04. Yoshimir started doing the motors in '04, I believe. Yeah, that was probably a bummer for you because Tom helped you for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. And Tom, um, you know, Tom's just a one man guy in the shop where Yoshimir had a lot more, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, they got a lot more engineers in there and, and they, they're just a bigger company. And when Suzuki came aboard, um, they just decided that it would be a better fit with Yoshimir. And then of course that hurt Tom's feelings, which I don't blame him. But, um, you know, Tom was just a one-man guy in the shop, and his idea of testing was uh, ride it down the road after he builds the motor. And, yep, she runs good. And, and, and Tom's biggest thing to me, and I'll never forget this, you know, I'd be racing one of his motors, and something wouldn't be right, and I'd come in, and he'd be like, just run it, boy, just run it. And I'm like, Tom, why don't you just run it <laughs> when you're going for a 50-foot double, you know? So, But no, good old boy Tom is, you know, and he's still building motors, I guess. So doing good. Yeah, that's I, – I haven't talked to him in quite a while. Um, I, I've been wanting to reach out. It's just we are we all get so busy in our own lives and our own things that y- you just – you don't lose track. Well, you lose track – and you want to reach out to your, you know, your race friends, but it doesn't always happen because you know life gets in the way sometimes. Yeah, it's just amazing how fast time flies. You think about how long it's been since I've raced. I just can't believe it. And speaking of Tom, he actually just called me the other day. I missed his call. I haven't returned it yet. But he um he reaches out to me a couple times a year and we talk for a bit. So well, that's good that you keep talking and and you're still you still remain friends. Do you yeah. get to talk to Wayne Hinson very often? I don't talk to him that much. Um, I seen him at uh, when they inducted Gary Denton into the Hall of Fame, Motorcycle Hall of Fame. I I seen him then and talked to him for a bit, but really haven't talked to him since. He just I know he's busy. I'm busy, and we just 
I mean, we'll we'll text once in a while, Happy New Year or something, but that's about it. Wow. You know, life changes. You you go on. He's semi-retired, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. You know, getting up there in age. Yeah, it was good to see him at uh, um, the induction with Gary Denton. That was nice to see him. And I seen uh, a couple guys there that I hadn't seen in a long time. You know, just like uh, this fall when I seen you, and that was a uh, that was good going to that um, waivers uh, reunion. Waivers reunion, yeah, that was nice. I was debating on whether go. I'm so busy, and I told my wife Tina that you know what, this is never going to happen again. I need to go. Let's just go. So we we dropped everything we were doing here. <laughs> so. I I get it. Supposedly, uh, Corey Witherall. I don't know if you remember him. He raced know. Mickey's in the eight, like eighty six to eighty nine. Okay. Um, he's gonna put on an eighties reunion, uh, so they're reaching out to different people for that. Uh, just the eighties riders, not any any the guys that went past that's fine but if they rode in that 80s era so you yeah. might get a contact for that oh, uh, wow uh to to come out to california first for something like that um wow. they're gonna do they're gonna do that um but Corey raced indy cars oh wow yeah he went wow. from atvs to uh, single seater uh stadium cars you know to asphalt cars to IndyCar. Wow. wow. Yeah. I mean, an ATV guy, and, and he loves his he loves the quads. He loves talking about the quads and and uh remembers his days. So it's, it's yeah. Yeah. You, you scratch your head, dude. You raced Indy cars and you're excited <laughs> about quads. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> but when you were riding that that Z four hundred. Were you skeptical at all about the, how the, how the machine worked, the suspension, and the way they dialed it in? Well, at first, we uh, I think we were running Elka shocks at first, and um, yeah, we 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 had to do a lot of uh, a lot of testing, and we got that thing dialed really good. And then I I, I felt comfortable, you know, in the spring because we we did a lot of testing with it, and I uh, got pretty comfortable with it, so. But yeah, at first it was, um, you know, there was things, but you know, it's always in the back of your mind that, Hey, I'm going to be racing against guys with four fifties that are factory four fifties, you know? So, but, uh, we, we definitely in Oh four, you know, all the team, um, you know, really worked hard and we, uh, we, we won a lot of races that year. I remember. Did Suzuki want to change? I know they changed the engine packs, but how much did they change everything i mean did they come in and, and want everything to change or was it just certain specific things uh just certain things i mean we 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 changed i believe we went we put a kickstarter on some and we we got rid of the the i guess you call it wet sump to dry sump or vice versa you know we got rid of the oil tank in front and tried to make it a wet sump. Then we realized it was robbing horsepower with the oil in there. So we went back to the dry sump, put the, put the oil tank back out. I mean, there was, there was a lot of things we did and, and Wayne Henson was big into that, but Yoshimir uh, having a dyno and be able to test things, they could, they knew, you know, what gave us that extra half horsepower or horsepower. So, and, and then chassis wise, you know, obviously different arms, different swing arm, uh, we had to do for a Z400 because it wasn't race ready out of the box. So, um, yeah, there was there was a lot of work to do with um, four wheelers. When you rode for Suzuki on that thing, did you change the stock frame or did you run the stock frame? We ran the stock frame. We gusseted it up, but we ran the stock frame. Yeah, Jeremy Shell could break one of those in an afternoon. Yep. Yep. We put a lot of gussets on the ones I did <laughs> race. Yeah, was... I, I tried to be more um a smooth rider or fluid where I wasn't hard on things and um, you know, but it is what it is. I mean you can only be you, you gotta be fast, but you gotta be smooth. 
smooth and fast go together. Your practice machines, how fast did you go through them? Because I know the frames were kind of brittle. Pretty quick. Um, I think I would go in the summertime, three or four of them practicing on them. And of course, we had a discrepancy about that because I wanted one like my race quad, but they didn't want to give me one like that because I'd break it more. So I had more of a stock machine, which didn't have the power. So I couldn't ride it as hard and break it as fast. So. Uh, I, I can understand that. I, I was told that they had a special transmission in those things that were like three-speed trannies. No, not three-speed, but we did change the gears and make them tougher, you know. I, I And I know Wayne Henson had a lot to do with that, too, some kind of bullet, billet teeth or gears in there, you know, to make it make the transmissions tougher. Uh, because they were they, they would break if you didn't? Yeah. Yeah, third gear, especially because you're in third gear a lot. So the 400 had the same problem as the 450? Yep, I believe so, yeah. That's yeah. that's crazy that they that the same gear is soft in both in both yeah. machines. Well, I think it's because you're that gear you're in a lot, you know, third gear you're 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 using that gear a lot in you know, whoops and jumps and you're landing with the throttle on in third gear. So I think that gear's taken the most abuse. I don't think that it was softer. It's just that's the gear that takes all the abuse. Yeah, that, that I mean you got a point there. Yeah. Uh, I'm I know we're bouncing around a lot. In in 06, which was your last year, wasn't it? Mm, no, oh nine. Okay. The the testing you got to set me straight here i read a little bit of an article and it said something about the testing that you did for suzuki on that ltr set it up so that the guys that you raced with could perform well like they talked about you know the the work that you did made the machine good enough for josh to jump on it and win a championship yeah, we did well. I, I think we might have talked about this last time. I went to Japan a couple of times and and helped them uh, design a few things. And then when when the 450 was released, we we spent a lot of time uh, tuning and and adjusting things. But I mean that that four wheeler that came out of the box pretty dang good, pretty dang good. Yeah, it was a great it was a great machine. Yeah. Um, when you were in when the last race in uh, WPSA, when you and Dustin Wimmer went head to head, we talked a little bit about that last time. But one of the things that I, I watched those two machines go through the whoop section, and your machine would your frame would touch the ground, where the Honda wouldn't. That what I always thought that that was a negative. And talking to some other people, the way they set that machine up was so that it would always be low and a little bit of frame drag was never a, a negative for you guys. Yeah, and, and that's the, the same thing. You know, you, you, you want it low, but too much frame drag is going to cause you to slow down, drag through, you know, depending on the track. And, and that's, again you know, me and Wayne Hinson sat down and talked about that a lot. Like, Hey, how low, I mean, the lower we can go, the better, like go-kart racing, you, you know, but you know, if there's a lot of whoops or, or big deep ruts, you don't want to be that low because the drag is going to slow you down too much, but no, we, we kept that thing as low as possible. And, and I think that's what made it handle so good. And I know talking to other guys, and I know too for a fact because I I did race a Honda once after I retired. Um, I felt the Suzuki just is so much easier to ride and it handled better. The the Honda was just it, it to me was sporadic. You know, it was you you got it. It wore you out more. It was more of a young man's bike than an older guy's bike. Yeah, I mean, I I didn't I I didn't get to race a Suzuki so I could never honestly answer the question. And I obviously I never raced at your level, but I spent some time on the back of the 0405 Honda. And 
I really liked that platform for off-road, but I didn't race motocross either. So, yeah. And, you know, I mean, it's all what you get used to too, but I know I've talked to some other guys too that were like, yeah, man, I, I rode a Suzuki. It, it, it's nice. It handles good. So it, it wasn't just me that I'm used to. I mean, I've talked to some other racers that have told me that, yeah, they, they've jumped on and tried a Suzuki and just were impressed on how good it handled. Yeah. I mean, the, like the old test track where we, where we used to have our shop, that was the best bike for, for that environment because yeah. you could turn it so, so awesome under power. Yeah. Yep. I mean, that, 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 that probably did more for it than anything. It was just the fact that it turned so good. Yes. Yes. Um, one of the young kids that's coming into the pro class for 2023 is coming in on a Suzuki. Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah. I'm I'm going to talk to him about that um, on an upcoming show. Uh, it's just kind of funny that I'm talking to you that, that race Suzuki's. And then I'm going to talk to him about, you know, all these years later that he's bringing a Suzuki back to the pro class. Wow. Wow, that'd be great, though. I think it's still a, a really good platform. There are things that they do on the Yamahas where they use the spindles on the Suzuki. They did that on the Hondas, too, to make them turn better. Yep, yep. I don't know. I, I haven't sat down with the Suzuki front end to know enough about the differences to know exactly why it does that. I've never... I guess it doesn't really matter. You don't need to, you don't need to measure it all out. You just need to know that it works. Yeah. Yep. When you were, when you were transitioning from an independent to a factory guy, was it overwhelming at all? Yes, it was. Um, you know, it's something that I always wanted or dreamed about. And when it finally happened, it was like, wow, this is really happening. And, you know, when Suzuki called me up and uh, flew me out to Las Vegas and said they got a contract for me, they want me to race for them, I, it was like, wow, this is going to happen. And it did. <laughs> so, yeah, it was uh, it was a dream come true. Did you consult anybody before you signed the contract? Yeah, Wayne Henson. <laughs> <laughs> I, knew, I knew you were going to say that. Yeah. But do you yeah. think Wayne had anything to do with uh, Suzuki picking you? I think so. Yes. Yes, I do. Yeah. He, he uh, I think, and then of course he got involved and he had a lot to do with everything, you know, that went on with Suzuki while well, he was team manager for a while. So. When you are on the factory gig, all that work through all those years is what got you there. Yes. Yes. And, you know, I, I think about, man, all the years I raced and, you know, I, I did it for fun because you weren't making no money doing it. I mean, what you put into it, you're lucky you got back out of it. And, you know, if you won a race here or there, you had some win bonuses from some, you know, aftermarket companies. And then, uh, and then the factory comes along and offers you this big salary and win bonuses. It's like, holy cow, it's paying off now. And, and I feel like, you know, I'm I'm one of the lucky guys that was racing during that era that this happened. You know, I mean, I, I got into it and the factories dropped the three-wheelers. They weren't sponsoring them no more. And it was kind of a dry spell for 10 years or whatever. And then, you know, and, and I'm just lucky that I got to be on the bandwagon when um, things were going good. Yeah. Not only did you race 250Rs in a very competitive era, you got to race the four strokes in a competitive era. Yes, it was – uh yeah, I mean, two strokes was a lot of competitive guys. I mean, well, you remember Donnie Banks and John Hemme and geez, there's, there's so many guys back in the day. Do you remember John Scott? 
Yep. Yeah, he went good too. I mean, there was a lot of fast guys on 250Rs. John Scott came back to the one of those invitational races uh, years at not I mean like three years after he retired and won it. Yeah, very talented guy. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That's most of the older guys can still ride. Like you still ride motorcycles and still do real well, as well as the snowmobiles. Correct. Correct. Yes, I try to. <laughs> well i'm sure that you don't try i'm sure it's 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 easier than you than you than you make it out to be for all the years that you've spent on the back of them yeah yeah i guess it helps all the time uh handlebar time i call it <laughs> the advice that that you give to young people when they when you talk to them about racing and and things like that what's one of the things that you tell them to look for and of our time, the more you can spend on that quad, the more you're going to become acquainted to it and the better you'll do in the long run, less, less chance of making a mistake or possibly crashing, you know, the more you're on it, the more you're going to know what every little bump, jump corner, any conditions going to bring to you, you'll be able to overcome it. So when you were riding for Suzuki, what was a what was a week like for you for racing, you know, like practice? How how many motos would you do and and you know, like in, in, in a week? I would ride if there if there was a race coming up over the weekend, and this changed as I got older, but I would I would ride Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, and I would ride two 45-minute motos each day, and I would do it at noon and 3 o'clock, just like at the race. So it was the same time. Um, and, and in between motos, I would have to prep my home track. I would water it. I'd have to work on my quad. Um, so I would, I mean, I was busy during the day. In the morning, I would be working on the quads too, so I'm ready for that first moto at noon. And then, you know, ready again for second moto at three o'clock. And I was fortunate. I had um, a fellow named um, Russ Shoemaker, Russell Shoemaker. He was a younger kid that he ended up getting picked up by Kawasaki. And he he lived 10 minutes from me. So we would practice together. And, of course, I would always judge by him where I am. And, and every day when we would do our motos, I would try to beat him by a bigger distance you know and i'd watch where he is on the track every lap and that's how i could push myself but without practicing with somebody you don't have that mentality or you have no gauge to judge and not that he practiced with me all the time but when he came around it was you know it was good um and uh i pushed myself you know as much as i could and i did a lot of motos and the older i got I would quit if I had a race on Sunday, I would probably only ride till Tuesday or Wednesday. Then I needed a couple of days to recover because uh, the older I got, it, my body was not recovering fast enough. I would get to the race and I would still be wore out from practicing so much. Did you get into the change of the diet or, you know, food, like some of the riders did later in their careers or were you uh did, did anybody help you with that or was it these things that you figured out on your own? I figured them out on my own. Um, I know Dustin Wimmer and them, they had personal trainers and um, my diet changed a lot through my racing career. I used to always think pasta was the way to go. And then um, of course, pasta too much is like anything too much, not good for you or it brings you down. So, yeah, I changed my diet through and, and I did what I thought worked best for me. Um, I did go to that trainer that Dustin Wimmer went to and I thought, all right, I'll go try him for a day. And all he did was try to get me to puke. I mean, he made me run stairs and he was a drill sergeant. And I remember him yelling at me and everything. And then he told me afterwards, he's like, well, you're one of the first guys I didn't get to puke. And I'm like, I know better. I know when to stop, you know. 
So, and I knew I can, I knew what I had to do myself. I didn't need somebody pushing me to do that. I knew what I had to do uh, to push myself. So I thought, well, I'm, I'm not going to spend the money on a personal trainer. I know what I need to do. Well, that's, that's old, the old school way of, of learning. You know, most of the guys from our age group, we never had those resources. They, they, they weren't right. 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 The, 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 you talk to the guys now and they're doing blood work and they're getting into, you know, using the blood work to decipher what they should eat or not eat. You know, it, it's, yep. it's a whole different level. Yes. Yep. And, you know, you know, you asked me what to tell somebody coming up, your, your mind has a lot to do with it. If you, if your mental, if your head's not in the game, when you get to the race, you're wasting your time. And, you know, when you have a good week prior to the race, you're eating good, you're training, you're riding a lot. I mean, that all helps your mental attitude when you get to the race. If you are like, oh, man, you know, I didn't practice this week. I wasn't eating that good. I mean, you're you're beating yourself up before you even get to the starting line. Well, if you had a bad week of practice, when you go to the line, that's still in your mind. Yes, yes. Yeah. So, I mean... I don't care what anybody says. Mental is a lot to do with it. You know, if you don't have that mentality when you pull up to that starting gate and somebody else next to you does, you're in trouble. It's going to be hard to beat them. Do you think that that's one of the reasons why you were always such a tough competitor is because your mental game was so strong? I think so, because I know there was a lot of guys more talented than me and faster, but I put the hard work in. And, you know, I went to that starting line. I knew, I said, man, I've been working hard. This is mine. This is mine. And I, you know, I, I put it in my head that, hey, this is, this is it. I'm, I'm doing it. You know, Unless I had, you know, mechanical breakdown or something that I couldn't control, you know, I would do, do what I could to get myself out front. Think about being tired after the race. I always said that to myself, got plenty of time to be tired after the race is over. Don't think about it during the race if you start getting tired because then you're there's that mental thing again. You're beating yourself up. So the format with two motos, you know, one at noon, one at three. After your first moto, let's say you didn't have the greatest moto. When you went back to the truck, what were your what were you doing to mentally prepare for that next moto? I would think about what went wrong, what what I could do to fix it. What, where do I need to go, um, go faster? You know, I would, I would just analyze everything that went wrong and, and try to figure out, well, how can I make this better for the second moto? How often did that work for you? It worked pretty much for me a lot. You know I mean? I, I'd come back second moto and, and do better not all the time, but you know, I, I got a, I'll tell you a story I remember talking to Ricky Carmichael. He he told me that, you know, when I get to the starting line, I tell myself that I belong out front. I'm getting a whole shot. This is my whole shot. I'm I'm getting out front right from the get-go. And obviously, you know, when you get to start and you get up front right away, that's half the battle <laughs> nowadays with how fast everybody is. You know, and back when I was racing, it was the same way. There was a lot of fast guys. And if you're not out front from the get-go, it's just back in the 80s and, and early 90s, I remember I could come from behind and get a bad start, but come from behind. I couldn't do that no more in the 2000 eras. It's just too many fast guys. You know, and there was, there was I mean, I can name Dana Creech, uh, Luberg, um, you know, Shane Hit, Tim Farr. John Natale, I mean, you got a lot of guys. Corey Ellis. I mean, there's all these guys that are fast. It's who wanted it the most, who trained the hardest, you know. So, I mean, they're all the same speed. It, it was it, it was crazy. It was – and I remember practicing with some of them guys down in Florida or California and who's putting in the hard work and who's not. That's It's, it's going to pay off in the long run. When This is going to be kind of an arrogant – question did you know when you went to the line the fighters and the non-fighters yes i did especially after 
you know, I don't want to mention names, but I know from practicing with guys and, and seeing, you know, what they're doing between races, you know, the week before or whatever, I'd see them at a practice track. I, I could tell. I could tell who wanted it and who didn't. We spoke of, of John Natale last time being one of the fiercest competitors that you had. Um, you know, he rode the Invitational uh, in California. Or, yeah, it was in supposed to be in Nevada, but it was in California um, at 47 years old. Yes, it was impressive. When I seen him, I thought, and it said Natalie on the back because I didn't know he was there and I did, hadn't talked to him. And then I seen, like, man, that guy's still going good. I mean, well, he proved it. You've seen his time there and everything. Yeah, Being I, I was, uh, I was impressed. You're older than him. If somebody invited you to a race like that, would you even consider it? It all depends um, how much time I'd have to prepare for it. You know, I, I haven't rode a quad in it's been a long time. <laughs> I've rode dirt bikes, but I'm sure if I got back on a quad and had one to practice that I could practice for a couple months, then I would probably be, I could answer that question more. But right now I'd have to say, nope, I can't race a quad. <laughs> but no, John, John was impressive. I was um, impressed on how good he was going. But if they invited you to a snowmobile race, you'd go do that. Probably because I, I I ride them. I was just riding them not too long ago. So, <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, it's honest answers. It's it's yeah. great that that you know you can you can consider it if you have enough time to prepare. But if it's a short notice deal, that'd be a no. No, and and my problem is I'm still very competitive, so I don't want to go unless I have a chance of winning. <laughs> so. Right. I want to make sure I'm prepared so I do have that chance. Otherwise, I don't, I don't want to waste my time. When you were racing, did you do anything other than just motocross? Did you do any of the, you know, wood style racing or anything like that? No, I did. I think I I entered one cross country race. But other than that, I just I just did the national motocrosses and the TTs. Um, and, and in the winter, I cross trained on a snowmobile to try to stay in shape until things got better and then i would go to florida or california to train you know once once the sponsors got um picked me up and were supporting me better were there a lot of places back then in florida to go ride yeah there was we we rode a lot of places which i hear now that a lot of them are shut down there's hardly anywhere to ride uh quads in florida but i know we rode croom and i, I can't think of all the names but um we we did ride a bunch of different tracks when I was down there. Yeah, Deckers. There's Deckers now, and I think the one place that you just mentioned, the first place, I think that's still there. Yeah, and I think Croom is just like a open area of sand to ride in. You know, what really in the track. And I know I was down um, last winter with my dirt bike, and I was talking to Mike Walsh from Walsh Racecraft, and he did tell me of an place to go that a lot of quad guys are going to and i didn't get a chance to go there but i know chad weenan called me up and wanted me to go out there but i didn't get a chance to go but i, I think it was more quads and i had a dirt bike so i probably would have felt out of place so well that's a, you know they, those guys would have appreciated seeing you whether you're on a dirt bike or a quad yeah i'm, I'm gonna try to get down the floor this year and and see if i can uh go to that place because i know they're probably down there training already getting ready because do they race daytona again for the first one yeah it's in march, march and yeah. yeah there's a there's a ton of guys already at deckers yeah is is deckers on the north side then is do you know i'm i don't know yeah i, I think can't. it is because i think mike told me it wasn't too far from his place so i can't wait till i get an opportunity to go down there because I want to see the facility itself and I'm supposed to call Mr. Decker and talk to him, but I, yeah, again, it's, you get it on the schedule and your schedule gets all screwed up. And then what do you do? You, you wait till the next day and then the same thing happens. And yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I, I want to, I want to go see some of these facilities just to see what it's like, you know, where they're training. Uh, you get to see pictures and, and, you know, social media stuff, but um 
actually being there is totally different. Yep. Yep. Would you go down just for like a weekend to go riding? Cause they have motorcycles there too. Yeah. Well, that's what we did last year. I would try to go down um, and plan it with the weather here. Cause we, we had a snow plowing business that we had to be back if it snowed up here. Um, this winter, I, we got rid of all our snow plowing accounts. So I'm hoping I can spend more than, you know, a few days down there at a time. Hopefully I can spend a, a two weeks down there before I come back home. So is the crop dusting business uh, good enough to where you don't have to work in the winter? It can be <laughs> depends on the year. We bought a 160 acre farm. So we're running the, the land and, and that's hopefully going to be our income to keep us going through the winter. You know, uh, we, we did a, crop of beans this year and um we bought a combine and and my wife tina ran the combine because i got in it for a while and we were harvesting the beans and i'm like wow we're doing three mile an hour across the field i'm used to doing 150 mile an hour across the field when i cropped us i said you can have this honey so she uh she harvested all the beans and she loved it i got her started in it and she finished it so, wow that, that's quite yeah. a woman you got there yeah. Oh, she liked it too. She uh, took the dog in there and they were good to go. I said, have fun. That's just too slow paced for me right now. <laughs> so. The, so you just make sure that everything's mechanically sound and everything's good and, and, and let her run with it, huh? Yep. Yep. She broke the sickle bar the second day. So I had to put a new sickle bar in, you know, the teeth that cut. Um, but other than that, no, she did good and um, she loved it. So that's all that counts. Right. That, that's pretty awesome. Do you, But you're still doing the crop dusting, right? Yes. Yeah. We, we usually crop dust and don't start till end of March, April, and it's slow then. We don't have too much to do. It all depends on the weather. We don't really start getting busy till May, June. June, July, and August are our really busy months. And that's why, like, I know Tom Carlson a few years ago wanted me to go to that uh when they put on that race at um where was that out in ohio there astabula. astabula yeah i couldn't go that's our busy time we make all our money in july you know june july and august and i i just can't leave and um with me owning the business and it's not like i can say hey why don't you come fly my plane while i'm gone <laughs> we can't they can't do it you know so and and when we're when we're busy it's it's sun up the sun down and it's 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 a it's a busy time and it's very uh I, i'm gonna say not stressful but you physically demanding even though i'm sitting in an airplane your your eyes you don't blink i mean you're doing 150 mile an hour across the corn the 10 feet above the corn you know you're looking for wires birds even deer can jump up and i mean it's it, it it gets tiring and uh you know but you, you make all your money in three months and then you hopefully you slow down and then you get the planes ready for the next year and you can take the winter off then you know not to get off topic is prepping a plane for the season like prepping your quad for the race season yes you you want that plane it has to be a hundred percent because if it breaks down just like a quad, if it breaks down, it costs you a race. Well, if the plane breaks down in the season, it's costing you money. I mean, we get paid by the acre. And if, believe it or not, there's a lot of crop dusters out there. If you don't get it done, they're going to hire somebody else. And you just, if if you lose out on a day, I mean, it can be 10 grand you lose out on in one day. And so it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's just like you prep that thing in the winter to make sure it is not going to break. And it still happens just like a quad, you know, it still happens, but you know, you, you don't, you don't want to duct tape it together. <laughs> that's for sure. Wow. Um, I mean, you don't, you, you don't rebuild engines every year, do you? No. Um, we have to do an annual, which I'm not licensed to do. So I have to bring the plane in and they actually on the turbine planes we have, they actually take all the fuel nozzles out and send them in and get them clean. Um, they pull the whole plane apart and go through everything and then put it back together. The engine doesn't get tore down, but the nozzles, the fuel nozzle, cause they're jet engines. They have to get taken out and um, serviced. 
Um, and then after about 1500 hours on the plane, then the engine has to come out and they call it TBO time before overhaul. Then, then it has to get overhauled and, and checked out. So there, so that's, I mean, we're not regulated, but we do the same kind of stuff. We have an hour meter on the machine. We're monitoring how many hours are on it before we take it apart. You know, yes. you're, you're logging how much time you put on a carrier, you know, wheel bearings, all, you know, everything. So, yeah, it's, it's the same. I mean, we know with quads, Hey, this much time and you got to change this, this much time you got to change this. Airplanes are the same way, but the FAA regulates it. They have an airworthiness. Um, uh, I don't know what you'd call a certificate. They send out that, Hey, they've learned that at 500 hours, this particular model needs this replaced. Otherwise it's going to go out and same with, Forwarders. we know you know hey you race it this hard this many hours you got to change this or else it's going to break on you so the transition from quads to airplanes was probably fairly easy for you i'm not talking about learning how to fly i'm talking about the maintenance scheduling and just being on top of that kind of stuff yes yes because i mean it's the same thing it's an adrenaline rush you're you know, you're, you're out there, there's a risk factor, a danger factor, and you know that, Hey, things got to be right or else it's your health. You know, I talked to a lot of old retired racers and every one of them tells me the same thing that they've never found something to fill the void of racing. Does crop dusting fill that void for you? Yes, it does. <laughs> it's uh and and I'll have to take you for a ride someday. I got a two seater, so it's my right. wife goes with. It's all right, brother. I'm I... no, no. I'll, I'll be easy with you. I, I'm. I tell this to people because a lot of them think, "Oh, you're just going to make me puke." And I'm like, "No, I don't want you puking in my plane." So <laughs> I, I don't want to clean up. So I, and and my wife goes with once in a while, and and I'll take you for a nice ride when it's nice, and then you'll see what I'm talking about. Well. I have ridden in a few of Cessnas and oh my God, <laughs> it's, it's horrible. I don't know. My, my 80 year old mother went with, so there she you enjoyed go. it. Yep. She's probably tougher than I am. <laughs> that's, that, that, that's pretty awesome that, that you are still that focused and you're able to you know take care of it i mean not that you're old because because i'm still a couple of years older than you i believe yeah i don't know I, I think i turned 35 this year but who knows right there you go <laughs> you told me you were going to start counting backwards so yeah i i awesome. agree with that you're only as old as you feel that's the way i look at it exactly we we talked a lot about your time racing and your championships that you won which one to you is the one that sticks in your heart as probably your your most memorable or the most meaning? I got to say, now well, there's two probably, but 04, because I won on a 400 Z400. But then in 06, when I beat uh, Dustin for the WPSA championship, that was a good one too that sticks in my head, but. But then you look back at '99 when I won uh, the first time too. I mean, they're they're all they're all memorable to me. But I I gotta say, I guess '04 would be the most memorable because it was a factory ride. I won on a Z400. They told me it couldn't be done, and when you tell me it can't be done, I like to prove you wrong. <laughs> so. Did the did this? What did the Suzuki people say to you after you won that title? Oh, Rod Lapuznak was my boss, you know, from Suzuki there. And he's he's a guy that really got to think because he enjoyed and loved quads a lot and got Suzuki to, you know, do this factory ride. And um, he he was just a happy-go-lucky guy. And he just, after we won that first championship, he took me out and just was so um, – besides himself that I won and, and he he told the Japanese that this guy is gonna win for us. You will see and then I did it. So it, it was uh it was very memorable and very uh rewarding and, and Rod was just uh 
ecstatic about it. And um, they did, they did a lot of things for me. I, I mean, they took me on a nice fishing trip and uh, you know, they, they did all these nice posters and billboards and stuff. And um, no, it was, that was a good year. That was pretty, pretty special stuff right there. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. When you won the race in 2001, the memorial race for Darren. That was probably pretty emotional. I'm, yes, I'm that was too. Yeah. Yeah. Do you yep. remember much about that race? Yeah. Um, trying to think. Uh, refresh my memory because I'm trying to think where was that one? I don't even I don't even remember where it was. I remember the race, but not not that many details. Yeah. Why am I thinking it was in Southwick? Is it is that ringing a bell to you at all? But no, it was. Uh, yeah, and and Darren's parents, you know, who who I've lost contact with. Um, and I and I asked Wayne about it too when I seen him last. If he has run into him, heard from him, nobody has. But um, no, you know, they lost both of their sons. I don't know if you know that they had another son before that they lost in a car accident. So I didn't know that. Yep. And then Darren, um, you know, lost his life to cancer. So, but it was sad, but no, that was, uh, yeah, that was a heartbreaking race, but uh, Darren was a great guy. And, uh, you know, he got the ball rolling a lot with ATV racing. He was, he was excited about it and loved it. Yes. Yep. That's, that's what I remember. And I was young and or younger in, and wasn't as involved in the nationals and stuff. And, uh, you know, I would speak to Darren on the phone a little, but Lauren spent more time with him and spoke with him more than, than I did. Yeah. And I, I talked to Sean Cermony who ran into at the invitational there and at the reunion. And um, I didn't recognize him at first. He goes, Hey Doug. And I looked at him and, man you're gonna have to refresh my memory but uh no he said he hasn't heard from them guys either so i don't know what's going on well they're probably up there in age too yeah I, i'm thinking that you know i mean you, you got to figure every gray hair we get they, they were quite a few years in front of us yeah yep i mean we're we're none of the people that we associate the industry with as far as the 80s the 90s and the early 2000s you know you got to figure that you were 2023 yeah kind of a mind-blowing feel there you know wow time flies yeah yeah i mean if you retired in uh, in 09 wow right 14 14 years already yeah, and it's just a blink of an eye, right? Yep, yep. You know, it just popped in my mind, too. Do you remember, um, what's his name? Charlie Shepard. Yep. I raced him, too. Remember, he was fast. Oh, he was a freaking bulldog. Man. Yeah, there were some there were some names back then, you know. So. Well, I wow. mean, we could probably get a list of 20 guys. Easy. Yeah, oh, yeah. Hang on a second. Sorry about that. Okay. My phone was vibrating and my wife's got to answer it. Business here for the uh, building. For what you're doing at, at home right there? Yeah. We had an insulator come in today doing that spray foam insulating. So he's calling me back tonight. Nice. Nice. Is that for your hanger? Yes. Yeah. Cool. Mm-hmm. Well, hey, I've probably taken enough of your time. Yeah, you know, Doug, I so much appreciate this because as a fan that I am, you were always one of the guys that we always looked up to in the racing and we followed your career for years and years. And um, whether you rode under the same banner, you know, about what time, about the same time as this morning or 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 not, it didn't matter. Yeah, a superstar and you're always been a hero. And I appreciate you. Okay. Okay. And talking about the. Uh, okay, Lord that Lord. sounds great. Well, thank you. I um I enjoy talking. I miss the whole scene. Miss all you guys. And um, so you know it, it was um. 
I'd never take it back what we did. We had great times and uh it's 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 tough to sit back and talk about this now and you just miss it more, you know. Uh well, you know what? In a couple months you'll be flying around in that airplane and, and yep. you'll be getting Forget your adrenaline fixed. Hopefully you'll be with me. <laughs> I don't know about that, but 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 well I'm still I'm gonna be scared, you know that. Yeah, yeah. Well, everybody is at first, but <sighs> Dude, I rode passenger in a in a razor and it did, and it liked to have killed me. <laughs> hey, I I know what that is. You ride passenger, you don't have control. I'm like that too. It's scary. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when we used to fly to the races all the time, I go, dude, just let me drive. If I can drive, yep. everything would be great. Yep. You know? Yep. Uh, Give me a fake I, steering wheel and I'll be good. I get on a commercial flight. I gotta look in at the pilot. And say, hey, how's it going up there? <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah, they don't let you do that much anymore now. No, they don't. They don't. Um, again, Doug, thank you so much. Why don't you hold on for me for a moment? All right, thank you.